0: What's happening, everybody? It's your boy John King Kong Carroll, and you're listening to Simbox presents. Let's talk boxing.
1: Well, guys, welcome to this week's Let's Talk Boxing podcast, brought to you by Simbox. As always, I'll be your host, Luke, joined by my co-host Osh, and we're coming to this podcast on the back of the Matchroom Show out in Abu Dhabi. Big wins for Dimitri Bivol, Chantal Cameron, uh, Rakamoff picked up the IBF super featherweight title. And, yeah, we'll go into all those fights in depth during the show. First and foremost, Osh, how's things?
0: Things are good, mate. Things are good. Good weekend of boxing. Really enjoyed it. Sat down and uh, watched it all, and uh, some really good fights on that card. was really impressed by it. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So, like I said, we'll get into the fights, and as we say on every podcast, myself and Osh, we don't claim to be any kind of boxing experts, just two boxing fans with our opinions, whether you agree, disagree, That's what you're here for. So, Osh, let's get straight into it. The main event out in Abu Dhabi, the matchroom card, the series of champions, I think Eddie Hearn's calling it nowadays. We had Dimitri Bivol fresh off that that huge win, that upset win against Canelo Alvarez. A fight which I think when we looked at it at the time, you thought it was a big upset, but Bivol's going from strength to strength now, and I think he's rightly considered one of the pound-for-pound best in the world. He goes in there with Gilberto Zerdo Ramirez, who himself was 44 and all, a former super middleweight world champion, and for me, Osh, this was a, a boxing clinic, one of the the displays of the year and one of the displays of the past few years. Dimitri Bivol won via unanimous decision. His his boxing abilities, boxing IQ, was on display throughout the fight. His hand speed, his footwork, he's just a joy to behold. Uh, just how impressed with Dimitri Bivol both in this fight and also in the year of 2022, given that he had that win over Canelo as well. Just how impressed are you with him?
0: Yeah, he was a bit of an unknown quantity, I would say, maybe two, three years ago. Um, In hindsight, the win against Canelo doesn't look like a massive upset now, does it? You know, he sort of stepped it up. And he's really fun to watch, isn't he? I watched him against um, first against Alvarez, he, he never looked out of his depth and he looked like he was in control throughout that fight. He never looked like losing that fight. Um, against But, you know, you'd have to say Alvarez was the naturally smaller man. So, again, Bivol was still an unknown quantity. He fought Ramirez, who I would say is the third, maybe the fourth best fighter in that division. And he made him look pretty average on Saturday night, to be honest. Um, his combination punches, his footwork, his head movement. Ramirez looked a league or two below him. And I'm a fan of Ramirez, obviously. You know, he's 44-0, a champion in his own right. And um made him look very uncomfortable that night. He really did. So I think that was another great win. And he's, like you say, rightly, he's right up there in anyone's pound-for-pound list.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of pound-for-pound list on each and every episode of the Let's Stop Boxing podcast, we'll like to bring our top five of any given uh, genre during the podcast. Last week, we give our top five current heavyweights. This week, myself and Osh will be giving our top five pound-for-pound list, which I'm sure will drum up a bit of debate, a bit of controversy, because nobody ever agrees on their top five. So we'll get into that later on. Bivol may or may not be in the mix there. I think the interesting thing is for me, Osh, looking at the, the light heavyweight division in general, is it's so exciting. You've got Dmitry Bivol with the WBA world title. You've got uh, Beterbiev there. He's he's an absolute wrecking ball. He holds the other three world titles there. He's got the WBC, WBO and IBF. And then, you know, that you'd like to say there are a couple of rungs above the other guys on the ladder in the light heavyweight division. But then below that, you've got the Brits, the Yard, who looks to be in line for uh, Piterbiyev next. You've got Callum Smith, who's moved up from light heavy, uh, sorry, from super middleweight to light heavyweight. You've got Joshua Boazze in the mix. And an interesting name uh, is Craig Richards. He's lost to Boazze recently. He also lost to Dimitri Bivol. But I think it's fair to say, in hindsight, Osh, I know we're going back about 18 months, but Craig Spider-Richards arguably give Dimitri Bivol a better fight than either Canelo Alvarez or uh, Gilberto Ramirez. And I know the fear factor might not have been there for Bivol. You know, he might not have been on his A game given that Craig Richards was a huge underdog in that fight. Maybe you didn't take him as seriously as he did Alvarez or Ramirez, with all due respect. But yeah, that that performance from Craig Richards and, you know, stars make fights, but Craig Richards loses to Joshua Bawazi. Joshua Bawazi is in line to fight Dimitri Bivol. It throws up a lot of potential... Uh, great fights and, yeah, Bevol and, and Beterbi have a, a miles ahead of the rest on paper at the minute. But there's a, a chasing pack of young Hungary t- contenders chomping at their heels.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I agree. I, I, I completely forgot they fought, um, to be honest. And like you say, in hindsight, um, that was a great performance. And Craig Richards, he's very, very awkward, isn't he? And he's very hard to look good against. No one ever fights him. Even if they beat him, they never look good. Do you know what I mean? I think he's got that awkward style. Um, I remember when he fought a long time ago, he fought Frank Buglione. And he was an underdog in that fight. did very well in that fight. He always seems to do well when he's the underdog, even if it's a losing performance. Um, But that's a very exciting division. Um, Berbie Ever, you mentioned there, he's a great fighter, isn't he? Um, He is on the wrong side of 35 now. I think he's 38. So maybe Bivol is going to get him at the right time. Um, who knows? But that's a great fight, and I think that has to happen.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's one of the things now with Bivol and Baterbiev is that for a long time, if you was to, as it was a boxing fan, you'd say to somebody, "Give us your top three fights in boxing," and you come out with the usual Spence and Crawford, Fury, AJ, or AJ Wilder. But I think the the Bivol Baturbev hype train is in full effect. You know, for boxing yeah. hardcore fans, maybe it's been there or thereabouts for a little while now. But with people having the 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 breakout win, if you like, you know, he, he was an undefeated world champion going into the Canelo fight. So let's not disregard that. But the fact that it was almost like a breakout win onto the mainstream scene over Canelo. And now you've got Paterbia, who's dynamite in the ring. He's, you know, a wrecking ball, a, a, a really heavy-handed puncher who can box himself. I think that's right up there now was one of the most desired. Yeah. In boxing, of course, Arta Beterbiev is looking like he's fighting his WB on mandatory challenger in January, which will be Anthony Yard. You've got to make Beterbiev a favourite in that. But then maybe later in 2023, Dmitry Bivol against Arta Beterbiev is, is arguably the most desirable fight from a sporting aspect in all of boxing for me. Um, speaking on Beterbiev against Yard, that, that ties up the, the undisputed or the prospects of an undisputed fight for Bivol in the early part of 2023. Do you see legs in a Canelo rematch? Is Canelo's pride, his ego going to see him take that Bivol rematch? Because it, it was close on the cards, but from my viewing, Osh, and to the naked eye, it was a clear Bivol win, and Bivol's only looked better in beating Ramirez. Yeah. Is is the the their logic, is their sense in Canelo uh, taking that rematch? Should he just be you know, I went one step too far, I dare to be great, which is a a phrase overused in boxing, but he dared to be great against an undefeated champion in his prime at a weight class or two weight classes above where he should be fighting. Does Canelo just, you know, wipe his chin and move on from that? Is is his ego going to force him to take that fight with Bivol? And if Bivol doesn't take the Canelo fight, who next? Maybe a Joshua Bawazzo?
0: Yeah, I I don't think... um... I don't think Canelo, you know, he's not scared of fighting anyone, is he? I don't think he's never thought it was it was interesting actually. I read an article the other day and people were saying that he's cherry picked people at the right time, that he's learned from Mayweather and stuff, but I don't see it. I think he's always took on the best and a lot of the best in their prime. He's took around he's you know, he's fought the best in his era. I don't think a rematch is a good idea for him. I, I just don't I think bivol is all wrong for him. You know, he's upright, he's strong, he's rangy, he's a tidy boxer, he's tight. I just think he's all wrong stylistically for Alvarez, to be honest with you. Um, hes I think he's a bit too big, a bit too strong. Um, and I, I don't see the benefit for him. Um, the fight I would love to see Alvarez in, to be honest with you, I'm not sure why it hasn't happened. Who's the other super middleweight, the Mexican lad? Uh,
1: uh Benavidez.
0: Benavidez, like... I'd love to see that fight. I yep, would love probably. to see that fight. I think that's a great fight, and they do that in—is it De Demao in May next year? Well, that would it. be a great fight. I'd love to watch that. I'm not sure why that seems like an easy fight to make, but they've not made it. Um, going back to Bivol, yeah, I'd like to see him against Boazzi. Boazzi frustrates me to be honest with you, mate. Like, I quite like watching him when he fights. I don't think he's been active enough, and I've—and you know—I don't think he's kicked on in the way that. I expected him to. I don't know if that's down to management or promotion, but he's not become the superstar I thought he was going to be yet. Um, I'm not sure he beats a Bivol to be honest, with you. But it would be an interesting spectacle, I think.
1: Yeah, I think certainly uh, Boatsy is 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 waiting for that that breakout moment, that that step up into elite level, which Bivol certainly is. I think the interesting thing for me is why I'd love to see the. Boazi fight is that this is almost like if you like two semi final fights. Imagine a Dimitri Bivol against Joshua Boazi on one side and a, uh Arthur Paterbiev against Anti Yard on the other side. And then later in 2023, the winners of both fights meet and the losers of both fights meet. You know, Joshua Boazi and Anti Yard is no disgrace in losing to either of those guys. And then we get the undisputed fight at the end of the year as well. But is that me? You know, making too much sense as a boxing fan. We
0: know that the sport of boxing isn't that straightforward. No, um, it, like you, like we said earlier, it's an exciting division. I would I would love to see those fights. Um, that division. Domestically, we've got a couple of great fighters, and and, and you know, on the world scene, there's a couple of good fighters. But it's making the fights happen, like you say, isn't it? Um, I think I think that Bivol fight with Bershiev can be made. I think that's a fight. I think they both would fancy it. Do you know what I mean? I think we both fancy that fight. I think Bivol would think it's good timing for him. I think Bavere probably thinks he's got a year or two in his prime. Cash in now. Um, you know, so I think that's a great fight. You know, you've got to throw... You know, Callum Smith's in the mix. You know, I think Callum Smith's right up there with anyone domestically. I I would place him... You've got Callum Johnson. Again, he's been a bit inactive. Puahti, inactive. Um, for me, Callum Smith is probably the pick of the litter at at, that 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 level. He's been a world champion. You know, how would he get on against Bivol? I I think he'd do okay.
1: Yeah, I think that's the Callum Smith is the 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 X factor in that mix because everything looks like it's it's penciled out and it's planned out. You know, we're saying here about potential semi-finals and finals and whatnot, and now that would be a you know a, a fascinating prospect. Uh, a fascinating perspective, two fights. But Callum Smith, I think he sits as WBC mandatory, so at one point okay. he, he will be called for the Biterbiyev, so it, obviously undisputed fights would override um, any mandatory, and the WBO mandatory is taking place with anti-yard, so that could get a little bit messy, so I'm not too sure where we're we're at with that, but you know, just to close off on the Bivol situation, Osh, I'm going to ask you to put your prediction hat on, and we're talking about things that are, you know, ifs, buts, and maybes, but if Boatsy was to fight Bivol next, and, of course, Antony is fighting Biterbiyev next, of the two Brits, who do you give more of an opportunity of causing the upset? Because they both go into each fight, respectively, as underdogs.
0: Um, I think Yade has the best chance. I think he did well against Kovalev. You could argue that Kovalev was a bit past his sell-by date then. Um, we saw that it was after that fight that Canelo Canel completely dismantled him. Um Canelo's a special fighter, but I think maybe Kovalev was a bit past his best. I think he was after the Andre Ward, the second fight. He wasn't quite the same fighter. Um But Yarde has got such an interesting, awkward style. He doesn't throw a hell of a lot, but he never gets to get hit clean. He's big and strong at the weight. Um he fights at a slow pace. I think he can if he, if he can keep the fight at his pace. I think that's an interesting fight. Although the slower the pace, probably suits the older man, doesn't it? Uh, with better BF, but out of both of them, I would give Yardy the best chance.
1: Yeah, we look forward to it. I'm sure we'll break them down in more depth yeah. as we move into 2023. First uh, down on the card on Saturday night, Osh. there was Chantel Cameron, who's trained, of course, by Jamie Moore. From for the guy you know very well, Nigel Travis in yeah. the corner there as well. Going in against Jessica McCaskill now, this was for the undisputed titles at £140. Uh, two of those was held by Chantal Cameron going into the fight. Jessica McCaskill was stepping down from welterweight, where she holds the undisputed titles at £147. So this was arguably, you know, the, the fight of the weekend on paper. Heading into it, a lot of eyes and a lot of attention was on the main event, of course, with Bivol and Ramirez. But then we knew this this co-main event in Chantel Cameron against Jessica McCaskill for all the marbles at super lightweight was a really really enticing prospective fight. And McCaskill had went up to undis- went up to welterweight, became undisputed. She lost to Katie Taylor early on in her career, and she she beat an all-time great in Cecilia Brackhouse twice. But the fight just didn't play out that way, did it? Oh, know, I'm not I'm not sure how much of the fight you've seen. But Chantel Cameron went out winner, you know, a deserved winner, and we congratulate her on that. And it's a, it's a great win for the stable. But McCaskill just didn't see myself. I, I put out on Twitter that maybe a, a head clash earlier on in the fight because we've seen both ladies with with bumps and welts on their heads and it, it, it's from a head clash. You know, McCaskill been been bothered by that. You know, was there a little bit of concussion and she just didn't seem right. She was punching from, from strange angles. She wasn't planting her feet. She looked almost uninterested. And then in the later round, she, she kind of got going, but she ended up dropping uh, a, a unanimous decision. To to Chantel Cameron. What did what did you make of the fight, Osh?
0: Yeah, I, I watched the old fight. Um, I watched it I, and I've seen McCaskill a couple of times. I always remember her fighting Katie Taylor, and even her losing performance thought she looked like a tough opponent, but not much more than that at the time. Obviously, she's proven me wrong and she's gone on to achieve a lot, and she's won her belts. Like you say, she beat Brackhouse, great win, beat her twice. Unfortunately, I think for six or seven rounds on Saturday night, she looked very average, very very average. Um, like you say, wild punches. Um, didn't seem to have a game plan at all. I don't know if she thought she was just going to blast Cameron out there, you know, go down and be the be the bigger woman on the night and bully her. That's the only way it, it was. It was a bullyish performance, wasn't it? Or it was it was trying to be a bullyish performance. Whereas I thought Cameron just outboxed her. Um, as far as spectacles goes, it was all right. I think we've set ourselves a high standard now for women's boxing and we enjoy the women's fights. And for me, the fight itself, not the best. And I thought Cameron looked a league or two above her. I really did. I thought she looked comfortable and I think it was a great win, obviously, for the stable. Congratulations to Jamie and to Nigel. But, um, yeah, I, I, I think that now for Cameron, there's bigger fights out there for her. But, yeah, um, a comfortable win on the night, which I thought it was really going to be. Um For me, it was a 50-50. I thought McCaskill was a slight favourite going in and my money would have been on her. But Cameron made her look very, very normal.
1: Yeah, I think it was really impressive for Chantal Cameron to go out there and get the victory in the manner that yeah. she did. And she came out there with a couple of cuts and bruises and lumps. So she'd been in the trenches and she'd got that win. She's still undefeated. She'll be 17-0 now. Um undisputed at 140 pounds. And she she mentioned in a post-fight interview, which I found uh, quite interesting, that she'd take a rematch with Jessica McCaskill and that she'd go up to 147 pounds and look to take her belts up there. And what, what an achievement that would be, you know, back-to-back fights becoming undisputed back-to-back um would be a fantastic achievement. And then we're talking about what's next and there's Tasha Jonas and Terry Harper floating around the weights. There's, of course, the fact that's been talked about a lot which is the Katie Taylor fight for Chantelle Cameron is becoming undisputed now, giving her that window of opportunity to take on Katie Taylor, that she will be looked upon as a, a credible threat to Katie Taylor, because let's have it right. Katie Taylor is is head and shoulders above the majority of, of women in boxing with all due respect, maybe just her and Clarissa Shields, which is a, a debate we've had before about who's the, the queen of boxing. Um, Maybe now with this win, and, and the way she went about the win, if she does go in there and get a second fight with Jessica McCaskill and becomes undisputed at £147, she is more than earned a shot at, at Katie Taylor. Whether or not that comes in Katie Taylor's next fight, which they're looking to make for Croke Park, I think that's more than likely going to be Amanda Serrano because that's going to sell out Croke Park. Um, I'm not too sure if Cameron's at that level just yet. But yeah, I think this has done her no harm. And what what an achievement it would be if she was to go up there and, and take the belts off Jessica McCaskill at £147.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, whether McCaskill would fancy or not after that, I don't know. Or maybe that you know, maybe the weight was an issue. Maybe she was drained. I don't know. And maybe she fancies it at one four seven. Um, I'd heard a rumor that Serrano had knocked back that fight. I don't know if that's true. Don't know if that's a rumor. Don't know. But I think the Cameron fight would be an easy fight to make, wouldn't it? For Taylor, are they both are they both match room?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's that's where the you're looking at the 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 playing field um, or the boxing landscape around those weights. From a Katie Taylor perspective, you know she's beat Delphine Persoon, she's beat Amanda Serrano, she she's beat Jessica McCaskill, she's beat Tasha Jonas, and you know where all these fights were great fights. Let's not get that wrong. But she has got the W's, and if she's looking at a, a, a historic event at Croke Park, eighty thousand fans. I think it's around that amount at the the, the stadium in Dublin. It has got to be a name, and I think Chantel Cameron is 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 trying to build herself into that name from a boxing opponent perspective. I think for me it's Amanda Serrano or Chantel Cameron, but then she might look at one of these, you know, crossover events with the likes of uh, is it Holly Holmes from the UFC yeah. and Cyborg. Yeah. So I think for, for Katie Taylor, in terms of credible sellable opponents, because Katie Taylor was selling her own, let's not get that wrong. Um, but as a as a sellable opponent as a viable option to sell at Crook Park, I think it's quite thin because she's beat everybody. So yeah. I think Cameron's at the top of the list on
0: merit. Yeah, I I, I you know I do agree. And I think for Ed it's a win win for Eddie Hearn as well, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? It's a win-win if he, he can make that fight easy. Um I I think Serrano is promoted by is it Jay Paul or yeah. you know, by I, I can't imagine he's the easiest bloke to deal with. But then again, I don't I don't know. Um I think Cameron's the easy fight to make, whether she fights McCaskill next, but you know, I think that ta- I think that Taylor fight could be made. Um sh- Two British women in Court Park. That's a hell of a fight. Two, that's two, a hell-
1: two British women? Or one British, well,
0: one Irish? One British, one Irish, or should Yeah, so, yeah. But that's a hell of a fight, isn't it? That's a hell of a fight.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Further down on the Cardosh, uh, Zelfa Barrett, uh, a guy that we support uh, very well on this podcast and, and through the Sunbox channel, um, he yeah. comes agonisingly close to causing what would have been a real upset. He was in there with Rakimov, the undefeated uh, wrecking ball, trained by uh, Hall of Fame promoter Freddie Roach. And on paper, he was looked at as, you know, a surefire winner in this fight and that he was already lining up the Cordina fight. And Zelfa Barrett went in there on five weeks' notice. He was three, four, five to one underdog with some betting uh, companies. And he goes in there and he fights the fight of his life. He puts on the performance of his life. He drops Rakimov. In, I think it was the second round with a peach of an uppercut, one of the punches of the year. And then, Yerosh, the the wheels just kind of come off, didn't it? Around the ninth round, Rackham pressure told. And in the blink of an eye, it was all over. Zelfa Barrett, we we were talking off camera was it an injury? Was it it fatigue? Was it he he couldn't manage the 12 rounds? We're not quite sure. We're going to wait for some kind of official word, hopefully. But first and foremost, you know, hats off to Zelfa Barrett on a career-best performance, and he's shown that at Super Featherweight, he's right in the, the world title mix, and another world title opportunity is not too far off in the, the foreseeable future for him.
0: Yeah, I think first off as well, I remember when I was turning professional, I remember Zelfa was um, obviously turning professional with his um, with his uncle Pat, and Pat was I've not long set up Black, Black, Black Flash Promotions, and all those lads in that gym, Lyndon, Zelva, who are all, you know, doing so well now, and they're all household names, they all started with Black Flash promotion. so you have to give, you know, Pat and everyone at Moston and Collier's a massive pat on the back, the way they've built their fighters from scratch, built them up on the small hall, and I used to like about the fact that they didn't use to put pressure on the fighters to sell tickets, they were just there to make the fights, get them the experience, build them up, and get the right fights at the right time, and um, obviously, seeing it's mad seeing Zelfa fighting in Las Vegas and fighting for world titles, and he's come from fighting in. I think there was a the Middleton Arena they used to do all their shows, and he really has come from nothing. So um, fair play to to the gym first of all, Zelfa. Yeah, that third round, he knocked him down. He hit him with two. He wobbled him as well. I I thought I was watching that fight, thinking, wow, what a performance! Brand new world champion. I didn't know too much about Rakimov before the fight. I'd heard a little bit about him. Um, I knew he was tough and I knew he was game. Zelfa made him look a bit silly at times in that fight. Zelva boxed beautifully on the on the back foot. He danced and he moved and... He just looked beautiful, and I just think there is... I heard Eddie Hearn have you heard, made a statement saying it was a perforated eardrum, which would explain the balance issue, which I think it was, but to be fair, he went out on his shield, he could barely stand up, and he was still throwing punches. Um, I think he'd have won that fight on points if it wasn't for that, but that's boxing, isn't it? You know, it's, it's quite easy to say, oh, I was winning that fight until I got hit, but he'll come back again, I do believe Zelfa Barrett will become a world champion. Interestingly enough, that you know, that Rakov must have a good chin because Zelfa hits very hard and he did wobble him and he did hurt him. Um, but he kept on coming, like you say. Um, slightly off topic, i never forget. I was at Victoria Warehouse and I was watching a pro show there. I think it was a VIP show and Zelfa was on the card. And um, even then, I think it was his fifth or sixth fight, he stood out. You could tell he was special. Um, even then, you looked at him and gone, wow, this kid's got something. And... Um, yeah, he, he certainly arrived, hasn't he? So, yeah, shame he, he got that loss, but he'll come back again, like you say, five weeks notice and what a performance that was. A full camp, he beats anyone in that division for me.
1: Yeah, I think that's a, a really big statement, Osh, and I think on on, on Saturday night that he, he's shown that he is certainly in that mix. Um, You know, that Ronnie Clark loss could have been a setback, he bounced back from that. As you say, you know, props to, to Pat Barrett. He, he he put him back on the, the small horse scene, if you like. You know, he let him get them... Them undercard wins back, and then he put him back and he won the European title in his last fight and what was a career best performance at that point, and then he takes on uh, Rakimov. And he's never, as you'll know yourself, Osh, as a, as a former pro, uh, there's never a, a good way to lose or a nice way to lose, but there's a, a way you can lose a fight and come out with credit and and learn more, maybe, than all these other fights put together. And I think that could be the case, I'm sure you'll agree for Zelfa that the confidence that he'll take and the little tweaks they'll make in the gym Will make him a better fighter moving forward.
0: Absolutely. Um, you know, he he's clearly in great condition. They um they do the IBF the IBF do a check weight, don't they? You can't go more than 10 pounds over. And I read that both fighters were five pounds over the following day, which makes me think they didn't dehydrate themselves. Um, I think Zelf is a proper gym rat. I think he's always in the gym, I think he's always training. Um, you know he's always in there so credit to him and and I'm sure Zelf will have a couple of days off and they'll be back in the gym again that's just the sort of individual he is it's the sort of gym they have there and I think they'll work on what went What they'll talk about what went right they'll talk about what went wrong they'll take a lot of confidence there but they are perfectionists they'll look at what went wrong and they'll tweak it and like you say he'll come back and he will be a world champion I absolutely believe he'll be a world champion
1: You know, speaking of somebody that wants to be a world champion again, uh, out in Abu Dhabi, there was a lot of fighters, promoters. There's a lot of money at these shows, and It brings out the the who's who of of boxing. It's kind of how it is when it's in Las Vegas or Madison Square Garden. You look around the ring and there's a lot of megastars around the ring. And there was a certain Mr. Anti-Joshua ringside throughout the night. He, of course, we thought was getting the fight with Tyson Fury at one point. We're not going to go into that too much because that is a a road well trodden and um, we don't want to beat that anymore. But then we thought he was returning December 17th against a lesser ranked opponent, a kind of comeback fight, if you like, after the back-to-back defeats against Alexander Usyk. That return on December 17th was shelved. We were told it's going to be late January, February, and now we're getting told it's February, but more likely March. Osh, where, where, where is it going wrong with the career of Anthony josh we, we know he's a commercial Goliath, that he, he brings in a lot of money. He's a, he's a, he's a business Um, in of himself, there's a lot of hangers-on and there's a lot of contracts and, you know, he can't do this and he can do that and he can't say this and he's very, very, very commercialised. But as a boxer and as as boxing fans, we just want to see him active. You know, whether that is taking a couple of, you know, lesser opponents, uh, with all due respect, you know, a couple of guys that are below him in the rankings, get that confidence back, get a couple of knockout wins and then start looking at some of the bigger names, but now they're talking about him going straight into the likes of a adelian Dillian White fight if Dillian White beats Jermaine Franklin on November twenty sixth, which is no foregone conclusion, or maybe a a, a Dante Wilder fight. Uh, I think yeah, the question that I posed to you was, she was, is is what's what's going on with with Auntie Joshua? He looked really disinterested in the media work that he'd done. He'd done an interview with Kogan Cassius, didn't really want to talk about boxing. He looked fed up, pissed off. Is he just is he just tired? Is this similar to you know and there's so many. Parallels with it, like a Mike Tyson, uh, not that he's, he's he's been as badly treated as Mike Tyson was in the early nineties, of course, by Don King. But you know the fact where the, these guys just feel like they've maybe been milked a little bit. That would to sound too controversial, but that he just wants to scale it back. You know, just get back to basics and box. Forget about the business. Forget about the pound notes and just fight because these guys are fighting men. You know, is what what's what's your input on the situation?
0: I think, obviously, I think you hit the nail on the head with that. He's a boxer, you know, he's a media Goliath, but I think we forget he's human and um, maybe he just needs this time to reflect and maybe he just needs this time to be himself and be the person rather than the the boxer, rather than the media mogul. Maybe he just needs that time to be him and just needs that time to look back and, you know, he's achieved a hell of a lot in, you know, a small amount of time, really, you know, he's a massive, massive draw. He's a massive, you know, he must be recognized wherever he goes. You'd struggle to, you know, he couldn't go to anywhere and not be recognized. Could he, you know, he must have a great existence at times, but at times I bet he just wants to disappear. Um, from a boxing standpoint, if we saw him back in March, I'd personally like to see him rebuild a little bit. Um, I don't think it's any good going into big fight after big fight after big fight mentally. It must be so draining. I remember Mayweather said, you know when Mayweather was fighting once every six months, he used to say it used to absolutely drain him mentally. And he used to sleep, literally sleep for about a week after the fights because he was that physically and emotionally drained. I imagine it's the same for Anthony Joshua. Um I, I think he probably is frustrated. He's achieved a hell of a lot and sometimes he does he, he sometimes he seems to be disliked a little bit by the public and I don't really understand it. But we've we've spoke about that before, haven't we? I, I think for him now he does need to rebuild, go back to basics like you say. But unfortunately he is Anthony Joshua and you know even if he fights Whoever he fights, he's going to be in a big fight because it's Anthony Joshua. So people stop and watch him, don't they? Um, I'd like to see him fight someone who's tough, give him a bit of a test, test his chin, and then maybe kick on with likes of... I do think he's got Dylan White's number, though. I do think he beats Dylan White nine times out of ten. Deontay Wilder right now is the wrong fight for Anthony Joshua, I would say. I absolutely believe that's the wrong fight for him.
1: I think for me, the the key for Anthony Joshua at this point, and you know, you could argue that Anthony Joshua is going to be the kind of character that, or the kind of uh, boxer, the kind of person that is only going to be truly appreciated by boxing fans, whether that's hardcore or casual. When he hangs up the gloves, and you know, we kind of look back and think, you know, he done that. You know, he he was an Olympic gold medalist. He turned over without too much amateur background. He fought at the world championships as an amateur became British champion, Commonwealth champion, European champion, world champion, all within 16 fights. Then he took on a who's who of top 10 rated contenders. He unified the division. He lost. He come back. He won the unified title back from Andrew Ruiz. And he went in there with an all-time power for pound great Alexander Usyk twice in losing efforts, competitive losing efforts. So, yeah, I think it's a part of me that's that, the, again, I, I want Anthony Joshua to be active. I think he's, he's at his best when he's active. He's fought once per year for the last three years, you know, one fight in 2020, one fight in 2021 and one fight in 2022. That's just not productive for, for a heavyweight boxer. And I think anti-Joshua, you know, if you peel back the layers of the, the, the media mogul, if you like, I think he's a lot more fragile than what people give him credit for. And I think some of this criticism, you know, does hit a nerve. And I think that's why he does want to take on the best challenges. if Yeah. Why is everybody questioning me? You know, I will fight Tyson Fury, or I will fight Dillian White again, or I will fight Deontay Wilder because I feel like it does actually get to him. I think that it hurts him more than than he knows. And this is not the, the anti-Joshua sympathy show, of course, but I think it, my point being is that it all boils down to he is human. He's, he'll have so many financial demands on him. He's a a, a commercial commodity to, to so many people. Matt and 258 and LucasAid and Lynx and all these different things. But I think, yeah, sometimes I think he just likes to shut away from it all. We know he's not massive on social media, really. And I think... Yeah, as much as I was pushing for him to return in December, and that's what I thought would have been best for him. Maybe if he does go off the radar until January, get you know, have Christmas with the family, you know, put on a a few pounds, enjoy a few mince pies, and then get back in the gym in January like everybody does. And and for me, if I was to put one name on it, I think Otto Wallen is is the comeback opponent for right. for for Auntie Joshua. I think there's the narrative there that he can build up and, and that Otto Wallen give Tyson Fury one of his toughest fights if he goes in there and cleans out Otto Wallen within three or four rounds, which he's fully capable of doing, that then sets the narrative in motion for a Tyson Fury fight that should hopefully happen sooner rather than later.
0: I didn't even think of Wallen. I think that's a great fight. I think that's a great fight. I think it's a fight they can make happen as well. Um, you know, anyone would step in with Anthony Joshua because it's the it's still the money fight. However people dress it up, it's still the money fight. Um you know, and I think that's a fight that could have. But I think he deserves the time off. Have some time off, reflect, look back on things, you know, be grateful for what you've achieved and then come back in January, like you say, have that family time. And sometimes a fighter needs it, you know, when you're back to back in big fight after big fight, big event after big event, sold out arenas. It just, like I say, it must be exhausting for him. You know, he needs that time. And like you say, it's not the sympathy show. I'm sure he's getting paid well. I know he's getting paid well. So, yeah. Um, but he needs that time to reflect and come back and rebuild. There's still some massive fights out there for him, but there's, he doesn't have to necessarily rush them. Do you know what I mean? So, wash we mentioned that we
1: will get into our personal uh, top five pound for pound list. So I hope you've done your homework. This, of course, is very uh, subjective, each individual's, list is is based on numerous things you know do you go with resume do you go with uh, achievements do you go with the level of opposition they fought and when they fought them so we'll get straight into it I think the way we'll break this down Osh is we'll both start from number five I'll give my fifth choice you give your fifth choice and so on and so forth and so we get to each other's pound for pound number one boxer as we see it at the minute so yeah I'll give you the, the opportunity first to you know kind of explain how you came to this top five list you know do you look at resume do you look at achievements or do you give it a mix of both how do you see it Osh?
0: It's hard to do your top five isn't it because a lot of them are household names so a lot of people know and you sort of want to be a bit different and think of someone but it's hard to leave people off the list um, but then again, you know, it's nice to be controversial sometimes, isn't it? And have a few um, different ones on there. But I think I have to do it on resume and not only on resume, on, on the times they fought certain people, how they fought them at the best times, you know, did they fight people on the slide? And as well, one thing I do like, I like fighters who call out fighters who are looking to fight the best. And um, that's why my number five is someone I believe who is out there and he is looking to fight the best. He's calling out fighters. He wants the best fighters. And that's why I've gone with uh, Devin Haney. He's my number five.
1: That's quite a quite a high ranking for for Devin Haney. Of course, the, the undisputed world champion at lightweight. He's, he's coming on leaps and bounds. He's a young man as well. He's got the best eight years uh, ahead of him, which is quite a, an achievement given that he is uh, undisputed and he beat the guy, he beat the man that beat the man in, in George Camposus and he beat him twice very well. Uh, so, yeah, big big pick there at number five. I think with number five for me, I'm going to go with the truth. Uh, Errol Spence Jr., 28-0. He's the current unified welterweight weight world champion. And I know we're all waiting for that Terence Crawford fight, but it's not happening. But I think if you look at who Errol Spence has beat, would like to have your know, Dennis Eugas, Danny Garcia, Sean Porter, Mikey Garcia, who stepped up in weight, we know that. But, you know, those fights... A, those four fighters in a row is quite quite the run for Errol Spence. And I think him against Crawford is is, is a great fight. It's one that we really, really want. But for me, Errol Spence is, is pound for pound, number five boxer on the planet at the minute.
0: Belter, yeah, he's a great fighter. I, I think he was a great win against Brooke. Um I was a big fan of Kel Brook. I think he was weight-drained for that fight, but I think that was a great fight. Great fight, great win. Probably yeah. up there's his best win, I would say, still for him. Yeah,
1: so give us your number four pick, Osh. Who's got the fourth place?
0: So I've gone for Mr. Terence Crawford as number four. I think a few people might have him a bit higher than that on their pound-for-pound list. Um, I'm a massive fan of his. I remember him beating Ricky Burns a long time ago now as a lightweight or as a super featherweight. And people were saying then he was going to be the next big thing. and It's very much turned out that way. He's for anyone and everyone. He's calling out, well, I get the impression he's calling out Spence. You know, you might disagree on that. It seems to be a hard fight to make, but um, I'm a massive fan of him. I still think he could have been promoted a little bit better and he'd be even bigger name than he is now, but I love watching him. He's probably one of the most complete fighters I've ever seen.
1: Osh, I think this is, is one of the moments where we're, we're going to agree because for me, number four on my pound-for-pound pound list and just for the listeners, we, we've not conferred on these lists before uh, giving them to you uh, on, on the podcast here. So yeah, number four for me is Terence Crawford. There's not much more I can add to what you've already said there because I am in total agreement with you. I think the one reason why I put him ahead of Errol Spence is although Errol Spence is on a better run of results at welterweight I think overall, Terence Crawford, you know, being undisputed at 140 pounds, world champion at 130 pounds. He's been operating at a higher level than Errol Spence for a few years now. You know, you look at that Ricky Burns win. That was way back in 2014, and what a win that was, because Ricky That's Burns fun. was hot stuff back then, you know? Yeah. So, for me, yeah, I think Terence Crawford edges Errol Spence into fourth place on overall resume and and achievements, accomplished in boxing. But, yeah, it's neck and neck between those two. Uh, Osh, let's move into third place. Who's third on your pound for
0: pound list yeah he's been a bit quiet lately but I still love watching him fight I think he's an absolute beast um he's made the lower weight divisions fun again so my number three is uh, Mr Inoue okay okay um, yeah I, lo- I love watching him fight he's always in good fights he's what he's fighting Paul Butler next uh, big fan of Paul Butler I think it's a really tough fight um I just think the guy is so exciting to watch. He's got dynamite in either hand. He can knock you out at the start of the fight, at the end of the fight. He's so technically correct. His fight with Nanito Donair a couple of years ago was one of the best I'd seen. Um, another complete fighter who I really, really love to watch.
1: Yeah, it's a good call. It's a good call. I think for me, third on this list, and we're talking about you know maybe some controversial picks, um, maybe it's because he's on the tip of everyone's tongues after the weekend. But third on my list is Dimitri Rivo. And I think given his performance against Zudo Ramirez and Ramirez was 44-0, and 0, uh, huge at the weight. He beat Canelo. He's a shoe in for World Fighter of the Year in, in 2022. He may be ranked a couple of places above where some people would put him. But for me, uh, Dimitri Rivo, given that Canelo was ranked number one when he beat him, kind of put him in everybody's top ten. So yeah for me I think I think Dimitri Bivol as it stands is is pound for pound number 3 uh in the world for me.
0: Yeah. I'm uh, going to be controversial now and um agree to disagree. He's my number 2. He's my number 2 right now. I've put him right up there right up there. Um I think his performance on the weekend his win against Alvarez again I think he's going to beat Berto Berto Biev when they fight I think he is right up there and he's my number two.
1: I think my number two is your number three. So we've done that in, in the reserve or reverse yeah. order, if you like. And I've gone uh, Naomi Nui. Now, his rec- resume recently isn't the strongest. That Nanito Duner knockout win in two rounds was explosive. But before that, you know, Deepen and uh, Das Marines, uh, not the strongest wins. But overall, is he's, he's got it all. And like you say, he makes the, the smaller weights look attractive again. You know some of these guys uh, are real, real bangers, real great fighters, and in new ways make them look very awkward. The likes of Emmanuel Rodriguez, Jamie McDonnell, uh, Juan Payano, anyway, uh, for me, is so exciting. And when he fights in Japan, it often lands around our dinner time, doesn't it? Our lunch time here in the UK, yeah. and I can guarantee you, gosh, every lunchtime I've had since he's been fighting at that time on a Tuesday or a Thursday or a Friday, I make sure my dinner break is at that same time because he's he's must see. He's absolutely.
0: Yeah. Awesome. He certainly is pay per view, isn't he? He really is.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I think you know, looking at the, the top four there, I think we've both been an agreement. I thought we would have had a bit more of a, a disagreement, but I think yeah. you know, I, I'll let you say it first. But I think it's quite obvious now. We have both got it. number one. Osh, who's your pound for pound number one boxer on the planet as it stands?
0: Yeah, um, I don't know whether people will agree with me any more or not. Obviously, he lost to Bivol. But um, Alvarez is still my man at the top. I still think he's got the best resume by far. Um, The fact that he competed with Bivol when he started off his career as a welterweight is amazing, to be honest. Um, He'll fight anyone. I love his style. I love his body pushing. I love his tenacity. I love his temperament. Yeah, so for me, Alvarez is still the man to beat and he's still the pound for pound number one for me.
1: Oh, I give the, the big build-up there. I thought it was an agreement. I thought there was only one place to go, and we felt spectacular on our faces here because my pound-for-pound pound number one is the unified heavyweight champion of the world, Alexander Usyk. I think his work okay. at Cruiserweight, cleaning up there, beating every champion in their backyard, stepping up to heavyweight, dealing with Derek Chisora in a very physical fight, and then beating Anthony Joshua twice convincingly, um, especially in that first fight for me, put us Alexander Usyk at the top and you say, you know, we look at resume, we look at achievements, we look at the actual boxing ability. Usyk's got it all for a big man. You know, he, he looks like he's similar to his, his little mate, uh, Bezily Lomachenko. You almost look like bellerinas in there. You could almost get lost watching their feet, you know, never mind what the hands are yeah. doing. The footwork spectacular. Uh, Canelo is a good shot. I think for such a long time, he reigned on top of the pound-for-pound pound list, just like Lomachenko did. Uh, for me, he's been edged out of the top five. And yeah, number one for me at the minute is Alexander Usyk.
0: Yeah, it's a good call. It's a, it's a good call, and I can't wait to see Usyk out again. I can't wait to see Alvarez come back and bounce back, which I'm sure he will do. But, yeah, it's interesting to see who Usyk fights next. Didn't touch on that today, did we? Um It'd be interesting to see who he's in there in there next with. I'd love to see him in with, um, I said it, I think, last time, I'd love to see him in with Andy Ruiz or someone like that. You know, I think that's a great fight.
1: Yeah, I think from from what he said, you know, it, 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 all roads lead to Tyson Fiori. Now, the, the complication with that is, is Tyson Fury against Derek Silver and maybe not from a, you know, is, is that Tyson Fury going to get uh, beaten by Derek Silver because he's an overwhelming favourite. But, you know, what if similar to and what if there's a, there's a cut in that fight? What if, you know, he's an injury there's a lot of potential hiccups in a heavyweight fight? We know that, you know, and not just, yeah. it's not just about Tyson Fury winning, it's getting out of there unscathed. So I think, Alexander Usyk is, is all roads to uh Tyson Fiore. There's a small window, uh, because he's a devout Christian. So he said that he, I think he has to fight in the last week of February or the first week of March, and then he, he's off the radar again. So that's a very small window if you know fingers crossed Tyson Fiore comes through Uh, Derrick Sora unscathed with the win, no injuries, no cuts. It's a very tight and uh very fine line that they're walking there in the hopes of getting the undisputed fight at heavyweight.
0: Yeah. You know, I'm a fan of Tyson Fury, but I'm not sure what the agenda is at the moment. Um, I watched his podcast with True Geordie. Um, I don't watch much of True Geordie stuff, but I didn't think he put much, you know, he basically said to Tyson Fury what we were all thinking, to be honest, and why is that fight happening, pretty much. Um, And Tyson really got his back up about it. Um, I think deep down they know you know, the public don't want the fight. Um So, you know, why not do the right thing and give us the fights we want to see instead of pretending that it's a fight that it isn't. That, you know, let's not pretend we know what it is. It's going to be a comfortable win for Tyson Fury. It's not going to be much boxing spectacle. I probably won't watch it, if I'm completely honest with you. And I know majority of boxing fans I speak to feel exactly the same and don't quite understand the... You know the the plan or, or what the, what the plan is moving forward. I'd like to, I'd like to see Fury against Usyk. I I think Fury beats him comfortably though. That might surprise you. I think he is a bigger version of Usyk. Actually, um, I, I just think he they're both beautiful boxers, but I just think Fury is the bigger man. And I just think that will you know in a fight of that magnitude over the twelve rounds, I think that will come into play.
1: Yeah, I think it's quite interesting that you brought up the True Geordie uh, thing. You know, I don't if, if, if our listeners haven't seen it, if you've been living under a rock and you're not on social media, because it's been everywhere this past week or so, um, Tyson Fury did take uh, offence to a lot of what True Geordie said. Now, I'm in the same boat as you is, that I don't really listen to too much of True Geordie's stuff. He's got a, a massive platform, two million subscribers, and I only noticed that when I did watch the interview. And he was asking the, the, the questions that us as boxing fans do want to ask. Now, you know, if I was to kind of look at this from a media capacity and and, and kind of think, well, as an interviewer for Simbox, would I be able to ask those same questions of Tyson Fury and then be able to attend a Tyson Fury media day in the future or maybe attend a Frank Warren show in the future? Absolutely not. And, you know, I think that's where True Jaw is kind of shone a light onto this buddy-buddy element to boxing views and boxing media, if you like, and some people are saying you shouldn't have asked those questions. Other people are liking the honesty. And I think I side with the guys that are enjoying the honesty. I like that if, if, if boxers are getting called out and we do get unrivaled access. I've said this on uh, the little boxing TV show, you know, shout out to those guys, that we do get unrivaled access to these guys that we see on TV. You don't get this in football. You know, we won't be able to start up a channel like this and, you know, maybe interview Cristiano Ronaldo or even, you know, smaller players yeah our referees they don't get called out the same way boxers get called out you know as soon as a a fight's over we're shoving cameras in the mouths and asking for questions and reasons for the the fight of winning or losing or whatnot so we do get unrivaled access and we have got to be grateful for that but yeah it was nice to see somebody kind of ask those questions that need to be asked and if that becomes uniformed across the board we've got Simon Jordan calling out Eddie Hearn you know it is a a welcome thing to to boxing media but it's a fine line. I know that from personal experience, you know, it doesn't take too much to get on the wrong side of some of these promoters and, and next minute you'll notice that your accreditation application is denied.
0: Yeah, you know, and it shouldn't be like that. You know, you should be able to ask, you know, within reason, with 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 respect, you know, we should be able to ask these questions and, you know, if if a fight and people, if people are paying good money to go and watch these fights, whether they're paying a fortune to go and watch them live, or they're paying 30 quid at home to watch it on pay-per-view, we have a right to ask for the fights we want to see. And, you know, if we're not seeing the fights we want to see, we have a right to ask why, you know. Um, at the end of the day, boxing's bread and butter will always be like likes of you and me and the people that watch boxing and the people that go to these fights and the fans. So, surely, and, and you know, it's it's the fight game, It's it's a sport – but it is the entertainment business. And if we're not going to be entertained, we're not going to watch it. So yes, fighters have a duty of care to explain themselves. If they're not fighting the fights that the public want to see, it's, it's, it's as simple as that. Do you know what I mean? If I was fighting someone now and you said, oh, you know, I'm paying like back in the day, oh, I'm paying 50 quid for the ticket. I'm staying over in Manchester, you know, or in a hotel, I'm going for drinks, the whole night's going to cost me 200 quid. You know, who's this guy you're fighting? Is he any good? What's the story? You have the right to ask me that. You're within your rights to ask me that because I'm expecting you to pay your hard-earned money to watch me fight. Simple as that.
1: Very well put, Osh. I couldn't have uh, have said it any better myself, but let's talk about one guy that that did deliver for the fans and he did have the fans at the forefront of his mind and arguably is the most popular British fighter of all time. He is having his farewell exhibition fight this weekend at the Manchester Arena, which was his home for so long. Ricky, the Hit Manhattan. we could sit here and we could probably do a podcast in All Truth, Osh, on Ricky Hatton and his career. Maybe that's something we'll do in the future if we dry up with love.
0: I'd love that. I'm a massive, massive, Ricky Hatton, Fatton. I've had the pleasure of meeting him. I used to go up and see my good friend playing, Eunice, up at Hatton's gym for a long time. I used to meet, see Ricky there. Lovely bloke and, uh, yeah, massive hero of mine growing up. He really was.
1: Yeah, so he's got this exhibition bout against another fel- fellow uh, former multiweight world champion, uh, Boxing Hall of Famer, Mark Antonio Barrera. He had those great fights with uh, Eric Morales, which is stuff a legend. Uh, he's fought the who's who uh, around those kind of weights. Uh, it's an exhibition bar, of course, so we don't really know what to take from it. But I think for, for Ricky Harton to have this farewell, he came back, didn't he, in, was it 2012, after a couple of years of retirement, two or three years of retirement. He was a shell of his for himself and he was knocked out with, ironically, a body shot. But actually, I think what we're going to wrap up the podcast with this week is sharing our favourite Ricky Atten moment, if you can kind of narrow it down to two or three moments, maybe uh, what's, what's your fondest memory of, of the hitman?
0: I think most people probably say the fight with Costa Zoo, um, a great fight. That was my, my personal highlight of Ricky Atten was, I remember when he thought it was his second or third fight out in America, when they were taking over America, you know, I don't think there's ever been a British fighter before or since who used to take over Las Vegas, like he did. Um, He fought Jose Luis Castillo, who at the time, um, in hindsight, that was a 50-50 fight. Um, Afterwards, they said he was past it, but it's quite easy to say that afterwards, isn't it? Ricky looked really impressive in that fight. Um, A couple of fights before, Castillo had fought Mayweather um, and people actually thought Castillo had beaten Mayweather but didn't get the nod. Ricky took him out in the fourth round with one of the best body shots I've seen. He just wore him down, beat him up for four rounds and took him out with a beautiful body shot. And anyone knows how tough Castillo is. You know, he's a tough, peak tough Mexican. He couldn't get up. And it was, um, that's probably, for me, a standout performance of Ricky. And, and probably the performance that actually got him the Mayweather fight down the line.
1: Yeah, I think for me, you know, if I was to share my my memories, I think there's the, the win against uh, Juan Urango, uh, the guy was built like a bull, uh, Luis Galazzo, which was a dramatic fight in its own right, you know, you could have argued that he deserved to draw out of that fight, but I think I'm going to go for my standout memory, which is quite surprising again, it's easy to say the Costa Zou fight, so I'm not going to say that, but not so much the fight, but the event as a whole that he fought Floyd Mayweather, I think that's what really enticed me to boxing, you know, big big time boxing, we knew about these guys over in America, like likes of Roy Jones and Bernard Hopkins and Oscar De La Hoya but Ricky Harton brought that to the UK, you know, in, uh, in terms yeah. of you know, the exposure on Sky Sports News. They'd done the press conference in Manchester out in the rain and Floyd had the Big Man United shirt on and, he, you know, mm-hmm. he had people shouting right. at him and he danced. And, you know, and that's, for me, you know, it was in the the, the days right before social media. So it didn't really get the, the widespread coverage it would have got in 2022, but yeah. we talk about it in school. And, uh, yeah, I just thought that, for me, is the stand-up moment that Ricky Harton brought big-time boxing to the UK. Lennox Lewis had been retired for a few years, Joe Carlzaghi was just getting onto the scene in terms of being Jeff Laysing getting that widespread appeal. We knew about him in the UK, but Ricky Hatton brought the very best boxer in the world over to the UK and to so UK eyeballs, to so UK TV sets. And yeah, he did go over there and the fight took place in Las Vegas, of course. And he, he lost the fight. It was a spirited effort. And we, we could sit here all day long and say that that referee played a big part in that, which I believe he did. but. Yeah, ultimately, I think my stand-up moment for Ricky Hatton is that he was such a popular fighter. He took 20,000 Mancunians or Brits over to Las Vegas. And he he fought the very best in the world. And that, for me, is the stand-up
0: moment of Ricky Hatton. Definitely. Um, yeah, you put that You put that brilliantly, mate. Absolutely. I, I forgot what a huge event that fight was, looking back. And when you said about Floyd Mayweather dancing in the rain in the, in the United kit, yeah, I remember that. Um, that was a great fight. And I think, like you say not only did that really put Ricky on, you know, that huge, enormous stage, but I think the British fans fell in love with Floyd Mayweather as well off the back of that win. Do you know what I mean? So it was, um, that was again, a spirited effort. And looking back, he really put in a good shift that night, Ricky against one of the best to ever do it. He did very, very well. I don't think he quite gets the credit he deserved for that fight. Um, because he was going out, Floyd that night, and he and he made him, he made him work, and he brought out the best in Floyd Mayweather.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I was looking forward to uh, the weekend. There is some other big fights on, of course. Natasha Jonas, a uh, big friend of the Simbox channel, she goes in for a world, a third world title and a third fight in twenty twenty two. What a run that is! Uh, she takes on De Kerr for the WBC, WBO, and IBF super welterweight titles. I think. If she wins this fight, she's a, a, a contender for British Fighter of the Year. Bradley Ray on the undercard. Uh, Dalton Smith on the undercard as well in good fights. And also another good friend of the Simbox Channel in Denzel Bentley. He takes on the third uh, Kazakh Yannibeck for the WBO middleweight world title out in Las Vegas. That's on Saturday the 12th as well. So some big fights to look forward to, Wash. Is the anything there that stands out for you that you're going to keep your eye on this weekend?
0: Um, from a personal standpoint, I knew Bradley Ray from when he first started training with Blaine Eunice from the amateurs, you know, from being a young amateur. uh, Blaine Eunice didn't really, he was a very hard man to please and he didn't speak very much about many fighters, but he said about Brad Ray Parker, he said, this lad's going to be something special. For Blaine to say that, I took notice. And um, every fight, Brad is looking better and better and better. And he's got a very fan-friendly style. And I'm looking forward to seeing him do the business this weekend, which I'm sure he will. Um, I think he'll go very far. He's got Blay in his corner. He's got the Ricky hat and back in as well and taken from the gym. And Brad is looking better and better. And he's a lovely kid and deserves all the success in the world.
1: Yeah, I absolutely echo that. You know, Brad, again, he's another uh, big friend of the, the the Simbox channel, very courteous with his time. and. Yeah, I think he's he's very unassuming, isn't he? Out the ring. He's you know he's very well mannered and he's easy to speak to. And he, you know, you're asking for an interview or if you know if you're asking for a prediction, he's very courteous with his time. But then when he gets in the ring, it's you know, you'll know better than anyone, else. You know, you're very similar to yourself, very good guy, very well-spoken guy out the ring. But he's almost that switch, isn't he? As a fighter, I'm sure you'll know better than me. I've never had a professional boxing fight in my life. He certainly flicks that switch when he gets in the ring. And we looked at his knockout win against Craig McIntyre earlier in, in 2022 as, as an example of that. But, yeah, really look forward to that. His English title as well on the line there against, is it uh, TJ Denny? Have I got his name Yeah, right?
0: that's it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's, that's a good, good fight. it's a good fight, actually. um, It's a really good fight. It's a step up, but it's a fight I believe he wins. Like you say, that switch, yeah. um, I think all fighters have got it, to be honest with you, that switch. Um, But yeah, he, he's a lovely kid outside the ring. But once that bell goes, he's a bit of an animal in there. And um, I, I think he'll, I think he'll do a job this weekend. I think he'll win on points.
1: Absolutely, a big prediction there, Osh. Well, it's always a pleasure with these podcasts, Osh. Getting your insight into the latest boxing news. Uh, We thank our listeners for listening again. If you've not already, please go check out Simbox across social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram. Hit that subscribe button on the YouTube channel we've got interviews with Denzel Bentley ahead of his world title fight and we'll be dropping this podcast uh, to preview those fights Osh as always thanks for your time and I'll speak to you next week
0: always a pleasure mate I'll speak to you soon take care mate
1: thanks for listening to today's podcast make sure you check out Sinbox across social media and subscribe to the Simbox YouTube channel